at least when Sammy was on tour, fans could get the whole game. Right, they could see the whole thing. David Lee is like a pouty little kid. Like, I'm not going to sing Sammy Hagar songs because I hate him. Hey, now. Hello and welcome to the Ear Fuel Podcast. As always, I'm Joel Freemark, and you can find me on Twitter at at the Daily Guru and at Get Ear Fuel. The podcast is in the iTunes Store under Ear Fuel and at SoundCloud.com/slash Get Ear Fuel. At the top, you heard part of my conversation with my good buddy Christian. You remember him? We talked a couple weeks back. Well, I brought him back, and we dug into a number of issues concerning band reunions and replacing key members of bands, things like that. We will get to that right after, though, a quick album review. The record I want to talk about this week is called The Six Hope Demolition Project, and it's the new one from PJ Harvey. Yay, new PJ Harvey! Woohoo! Yeah. I, I know many of you love PJ Harvey, and I do as well. So, this is her ninth studio album, and I mean, really, to know her is to love her. She is truly an icon and an iconoclast, and whenever she has a new record, safe bet it's going to change the music scene in some way or another. This album is the follow-up to her fantastic 2011 record, Let England Shake. And yes, this was the album that was recorded in part. uh, The studio had one-way glass so the public could watch. If you don't know what she did, just go Google it. It was really neat. Basically, people were allowed to sit outside of the studio and watch her record for different points. Pretty neat idea. Now, the name of this record might seem weird, but it's actually a reference to the Hope Six projects here in the United States. And that was, well, it is basically where they went about and they demolished the worst public housing projects in the country in the hopes that if they made better houses, it would revitalize the neighborhood. It was and is, in the eyes of many, a form of social cleansing because the new homes that were built were usually unaffordable by the previous residents. This record is all about social justice across the world, so let's dig into the actual music. Sadly, for the most part, this record is heavy-handed to the point that it kind of ruins itself. I get it, though. Most of the big-time press outlets are going to praise this album to the heavens because they kind of have to. Not doing so, it's going to make it seem like they don't care about what she's talking about, and if you say mean things about her record, she's probably not going to do an interview with her, even if those things are true. Like it or not, though, the reality is these songs are far from the quality she's made her trademark for more than 20 years, and I'll say it again. These lyrics are cringeworthy. They're so heavy-handed. Really. It seems like this time around, all she really cares about is the words and the music in terms of both quality and, I don't know, fit. It's, it's like a distant second. Maybe, you know, maybe she just should have just put this into a really long speech and then went about her life. This, this is just not words that were proper for these songs, really. Pick any song on the album and it's basically PJ forcing her words to fit in whether they actually do or not. But see, there's a problem even with her massive focus on the words. They don't really go anywhere. It's like one really long Wikipedia page with a little bit of color commentary and some melody. Basically, she tells us all sorts of problems that exist, and a lot of these we know exist, but she offers no sort of solution or a way to better things. And and much like the songs, the idea for the album, it seems like it's half-baked and, and lacking in follow-through. Having a strong message only gets you so far, and her message isn't crafted well enough to carry the album. The songs end up becoming this giant pile of sonic meh, and you actually find yourself wanting her to stop singing. You want PJ Harvey to stop singing. 
That should never happen in life, ever. But it does, and it happens constantly on this album. Her vocal on the song A Line in the Sand, it's just a disaster. And that's one of the many songs on this record that just goes nowhere. There are some very cool moments on this album, like a number of the opening parts of the song, like the first 20 or 30 seconds, but oftentimes it's the bridge to chorus transition that is amazingly awkward. Check out the song Near the Memorials of Vietnam and Lincoln for the best example of how she's like, okay, we're just going to make this work when it really doesn't. The song River Anacostia is probably the strongest on the record, and it highlights the keyboard work, which is the only consistent bright point on this album. It's just a sonic mess, and while I don't want to hold PJ Harvey to a higher standard, I'm holding PJ Harvey to a higher standard. It's almost like this is somebody playing the part of PJ Harvey and just being completely cliche about it. I don't remember a PJ Harvey record that I didn't at least like a fair portion of, if not love, but the Six Hope Demolition Project is as clear a musical misstep as you'll ever see. Don't even bother with this album. Go pick up any of her other records, or if you're looking for something new, check out the new record of Woody Guthrie covers that Del McCurry just released. That is fantastic. Moving on, at the beginning of last week, I asked my buddy Christian if he wanted to come back on the podcast to discuss band reunions and things like that. Then, early Sunday morning, ACDC announced that it's official. Axl Rose is going to be their frontman for the rest of their postponed tour. So our conversation ended up covering a number of things with that as kind of the source in the backdrop. So sit back and once again enjoy two music nerds discussing issues important to them. It's, uh, it's perfectly fitting then that we can start our conversation about Guns N' Roses and ACDC, two bands that you and I both love a lot, who are starting to kind of merge into one band, uh, ACDC Roses or, or yes. Guns N' DC. Guns in D.C. Ooh, that's a good band name. Guns in D.C. Yes. Because I saw, uh, I don't know if you saw it, that Angus came out on stage with Guns N' Roses at Coachella this weekend. And they played two songs that GNR used to cover back in the day when they were still, didn't have enough material maybe to, mm-hmm. to fill an entire night of their own. When I first read that, my first thought was, are they trying to sell the fans on the fact that it's okay that ACDC is borrowing Axel for, you know, 10 shows in the U.S. Sure. And maybe, you know, 10, you know, a dozen or shows in Europe. Hey, hey, guys, it's okay because Angus is going to come out and play with us. So right. it's okay. It's okay. He says it's cool and we say it's cool. Right. And if he says it's cool, then then that's fine. I'm, I'm glad. And, you know, I think we've talked about this before that uh, we were maybe skeptical if GNR was going to make it there. I was surprised that uh, they almost made it there considering that their bus broke down. That it did. I thought it was going to be very ironic if they missed that because of the faulty bus or the bus breaking down. Right. Anything anything other than the fact that they are the most implosion-ready band in history. Yes. Any any reason for or any... Uh, excuse for something being late or someone being late yeah but um supposedly the show was good and so you know hats off to them they pulled it off they had a little uh trick up their sleeve with angus coming in to help smooth over the fans who were not maybe sold on the fact that uh a gun for hire haha if you will (laughs) axel is going to go over to acdc but the thing that bothered me the most about that is the way that acdc were very 
uh, and again, I know this is a music business, and I know these bands are not corporations. Well, I mean, kind of, but yeah, no, they're businesses. The, they are the, businesses. The way, but the way that ACDC worded their uh, dismissal letter, if you will, Brian sure, Johnson, yeah, let, let's call it, let's know? go nice and call it a dismissal letter. I think it was a little bit more crass than that. But you know, we want to thank you for Brian. We want to thank Brian Johnson for his years of service. Yeah. And, and dedication, he was in the band for over 30 years. He brought the band their biggest commercial success. I'm trying to think of another band who let go of someone after such a long period of time. And basically, they gave Brian his gold watch and said, thank you very much. Sorry about your ear problems, but have fun at the retirement home. Yeah, and, and, and you know what? I'm, I'm going to cut you off there because my biggest problem is that I don't believe them still. You know, Brian Johnson was very quick right after the fact to say, that's not exactly how this went down. They basically kicked me out of the band and sent my tour gear home. And we've heard nothing from Brian Johnson for like three weeks now. I'm I'm not so sure I buy ACDC's story that Brian was about to lose his hearing. If that's the case, why... I don't understand. I just don't understand what angle Angus. It's basically Angus because it's his band. Malcolm. Yeah, it is. You know, Malcolm is obviously has his own mental health issues, which is sad. And the rest of the guys, you know, are again are just they're they're band members, but and they're like Cliff Williams has been there for um, right. Cliff Williams, yeah, the band, Yeah. yeah. And he's been there for a long time, but he's kind of like the um. Oh, he's kind of like the to use my a Pearl Jam reference. He's the Boone Gasper, a keyboard the keyboard player. Thank he's, you, thank you for that. Thank you for clearing that up. For those of for those of, for those of us who don't know every single thing about Pearl Jam. Sorry, Boone plays on the studio albums. He tours with them, but he's not a full member of the band. Yeah. You know, Cliff is a member of the band, but you know the say that he has in that is probably zilch. Yeah. You know, so you know when Angus says, "Hey, you know." We're going to kick Brian out. They're probably like, okay, sounds good. I mean, I can't, but again, I hope that's not the way it went down. Yeah, it certainly, yeah, it certainly seems like it went down in some strange way, but let's, let's move on a little bit just because we could probably do an entire podcast as to what's going on Angus versus Brian Johnson. So Brian Johnson is out. There's, there's no way around it. He's out of the band, at least for now. And Axl Rose is going to front, I think it was like 12 dates, and most of them are, I think, in South America. Uh, He's going to front that band for a while. How does that sit with you as a fan of both bands? I was going to see them here in Columbus, so I was heartbroken because I've been wanting to see this band for so long. And when I heard that, I was just like, no. But um, they say, you know, we want to fulfill our tour commitments. Mm-hmm. So that makes me think of a couple things going back to the business. One, how much money there were they is. going to lose there by is. not completing the dates? Yep. Number one. Number two, are they really saying like, yes, we want to make the, the fans happy? And I think that to a little degree, because, you know, if ba- bands have insurance policies, just like a- anything else, but sure. I don't know if a- an insurance policy covers something like this no i doubt it does because you know when you think about it like uh a decade and a half ago when james hetfield when the pyro went off under his arm he was on stage performing with that huge cast or axel or dave grohl performing with the broken legs you know it is cool that they did it but let's not forget there's a lot of money to be made at those shows right 
you know, a lot of I've read a lot of things online, and and some fans were saying, oh, well, they should have got. There's this, uh, I guess, this really good ACDC um, tribute band, and the singer's really good. Sure. And I think I even read that they auditioned him, which I think is cool if they did, and if they felt that you know maybe he just wasn't cutting it and Axel could I'm interested to hear Axel saying you know dirty deeds or <laughs> thunderstruck I, I I kind of am so I, it's it's kind of one of those I want to see it for the um just the I want to see how it unfolds I really want to see if he's a good fit I'm I'm really interested if they think that he is going to pull it off, then I kind of have to believe him. I don't think they're going to go out with a half-ass product and, you know, Axel's not going to be a good fit. Is it going to be different than Brian? Certainly, but I think Axel's vocal range, even uh, even though it's not obviously what it used to be, I think he can still hit a lot of the things that Brian and Bond used to. So I'm interested to see. We've been waiting on this Guns N' user. Rose's reunion for so long, yep. so I'm not, uh, and I'm still debating if I want to go. I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised if that gets postponed, and I, I guess I wouldn't be heartbroken about it because it's kind of like Chinese democracy. We've been waiting so long for it. What's another year or so? So if that happens, okay. I'm interested to. See, I, I don't know. It's just interesting. That's. I can't think of yeah. a more better word, but. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, my, my concern is this. You know, I saw clips from the Troubadour gig, and I saw get trip, you know, clips from other shows they played, and I listened to most of the Coachella set. And Axel is trying his hardest, but he doesn't have the range anymore. I mean, he's he's dropped everything different in different ways. You know, he's dropped this an octave here. He's not going for that high note there. And, and I'm not expecting him to sing exactly like he did in, you know, 1992, because he can't. But here's my issue. If ACDC's thought was, we're going to replace Brian with Axl Rose because Axl can hit the notes necessary, great. But they have to know he can't sing those notes. So it's kind of like, it's to me, it's kind of ACDC karaoke now starring Axl Rose, which is great because he's been starring in Guns N' Roses karaoke for, you know, almost 20 years now with random people behind him. I'm just, I see this as a money grab. And to me, it's going to come down to one simple question. Once they've done these shows, does ACDC end as a band or is Axl Rose now the de facto new frontman for ACDC from here going forward? I don't think they'll do that. I don't think that that is Axl's MO. That's a whole while he I think that they have him there because of uh, because of billboard value and because uh, before he broke his leg. Sure. Uh, he is a still a excellent frontman. He can move He's, around. But I think afterwards, it's like, okay, I did my time. I helped you guys take care of things, and, you know, thanks. So I, I really don't see him moving past that. I think it's time, as with a number of other bands who have lost very key members, it's time for him to say, hey, it's it's time. We, we This is the last thing. We're sorry we couldn't have Brian here. Sorry we couldn't have Malcolm here. Or but... or, or or Phil Rudd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't think he's doing time anymore, but he, I think he's done it and he's, he's on out. House arrest. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, for me, it's kind of like, well, again, Phil Rudd, Cliff Williams, you know, interchangeable, right? Fair um, enough. Fair enough. Yeah. But, like, those, the three core guys... If, you know, they're, they're dropping, you know, sorry, old yeah. age and everything else is catching up. 
it's okay to ride off in the sunset. We're going to have Axel take us off and call it a day. So you think now is the time when ACDC needs to hang it up? Now, let's, let's, let's go back, what, 34 years, 35 years, when Brian Johnson steps in and takes over for Bon Scott. Uh, bon Scott had established himself as the front man for ACDC. He already had a number of hits with it. So what do you see as the difference now versus then in terms of replacing the iconic frontman? Because Bon Scott certainly was an icon. I would present to you the same question when Freddie Mercury can no longer be in front of Queen, when David Lee Roth no longer can be in front of Van Halen, uh, when Henry Rollins stepped into Black Flag, when Glenn Danzig left the, Mis- left the Misfits. What did those bands do? Right, no, and, and I think there are different situations there. Personally for me, and I, and I have a feeling you agree with me, Queen was over when Freddie passed away in the beginning of the 90s. That band, if Brian May had quit the band, I would argue that, yeah, you know what, you should probably change the name of the band, but Freddie, Freddie was that band. I, I, I cannot, you know, I think, who was it? Adam Lambert, I think, has been taking over a bit or something. Who, whoever, he, he stepped in. Yeah, it's, it's to me, that's a totally different band because... Freddie was such an iconic figure, and um, with with Van Hagar, I mean, you know how I feel about that. Diamond Dave is the soul of that band, and and I mean, maybe maybe it's due to age. Maybe maybe, and in that case, it's slightly different in that they kicked Diamond Dave out of the band, where Freddie died, and you know Bon Scott died. You know, where where it's it's slightly different. I think I think the drama we see is in a band like let's let's look at Black Sabbath. You know, where yes. where, you know, they, they had a number of different singers and then finally they come around. They're like, OK, we're going to get the original band back together, except not Bill Ward. You know, I mean, I, I have a lot I take a lot of issue with how they're treating Bill Ward over the last, say, three years where we're doing this big final, you know, final tour, whatever clever name their marketing department came up with. And we know Bill Ward is alive and well and wants to play. But for whatever reason, money, they can't seem to make it happen. I personally think that's wrong and that's why i'm not going to see black sabbath because if you're calling this the farewell tour and the guy wants to play let the guy play i hate to go back to the guns and roses thing, no no let's go thing. back to guns and roses but it's the same thing why to me steven adler uh, he's had some health issues to me he physically cannot play right get matt get matt storm in there izzy might have some other things take money aside while he can't come in fine bring in gilby clark bring in the use your illusion tours lineup with Gilby and Matt. If you want to get close to the original, that is it. Now, I'm sure Axel says, well, you know, Richard, uh, for, uh, uh, whatever his name is, um, you know, the, the drummer who's out now and the other guitarist, hey, you know what, I want, if we're going to do this, I want to have two of my guys from the Chinese area, Chinese era mm-hmm. lineup in here. Okay, that's a compromise. But um, here's, here's, here's another one. So Pink Floyd. So ah. Sid, Sid Barrett ah. leaves. Sid Barrett leaves. Yes. What do they do? They saw the writing on the wall with that. They yep. bring in David Gilmore the to, you know, so. Quick history update. Let me just cut you off. Quick history update for those of you who don't know. Sid Barrett was the original frontman and founder of Pink Floyd. Uh, recorded with them for one album. It's called Piper at the Gates of Dawn. And it is a totally different sound than the uh, the better known Pink Floyd. If you really enjoy taking acid, um, do that and put in Piper at the Gates of Dawn and understand why Sid Barrett was a genius. But David Gilmore would be his replacement, blah, 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 as you were saying. 
I, I look at that and I think, okay, the front man was going away and they they saw it and they're like, hey, we're going to bring someone else in. Sure. And they kept rolling and obviously were successful. Um, I think about on a much different musical level and success level, quote unquote, yeah. the Ramones. The Ramones. So yeah. Tommy went out, Marky comes in uh, down the road. DD goes out. C yeah. Right? CJ, comes, CJ in. comes in. Yeah. There's so, a, there's a ton of Ramones. There's a there's a rotating, but but the key components there were Joey and Johnny. The key components with AC and DC, AC and DC, <laughs> AC DC <laughs> is was Angus, Angus and, and Malcolm. Malcolm. Um, GNR. Uh, Angus and you Brian. know, it was it was Axel slash you know Duff. It, uh, you know, but it's but it's 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 actually you know the the. The Izzy. visual front man, you know, you and I and people yeah. who love Guns N' Roses understand how important people like Izzy were to the band. But people who just watched MTV and listened to the radio, Guns N' Roses is Axel and Slash. And that is the be all end all. There's also the other guys in the band, but it's Axel and Slash's band. What about, and this is going to, you're going to, I know you're going to, I just Uh-oh. want to prep you. I want Uh-oh. you to sit down. I'm sitting. Okay. I'm going to calm what myself. If, I'm going to go to my about, happy place. Get ready. What about the who? <sighs> okay. Okay. That band should have ended before I was even on this planet. I mean, they are an embarrassment and have been for a very, very long time. I get it. Pete and Roger are that band. No offense to Keith Moon and John Entwistle. No offense to them because, yes, I know the other people in the Who offhand. But it's, you know, it's, it's Pete Townsend's band. It is. It is. So when, when they, when they, um, but the I'm thing is, to think when they left the band, could, why, why didn't they say, Oh man, we just can't carry on. You know, Zeppelin when Bon when when Bonham died. Yeah. Aside from a couple of reunions, okay, I get Led Zeppelin. They did not keep going. Well, and so. here's the thing. Also, though, Zeppelin is a great example to me because yeah, you know what, Zeppelin they had you know Coda is there. We all know it exists. We all just try and forget that's not part of the Zeppelin catalog. And you know yeah, they did the uh, the Page Plant No Quarter tour in the early '90s. I saw that, but that was different. That but was, it was that different, was, right? So a couple was, years ago though, they did the reunion. In London, they did the one night only uh, reunion with Jason. I think played drums. I think Jason Bonham played drums. And he did, and he did pretty good. Yeah, he did. He did say. really well. You know, but here's yeah. the thing: is if you watch that performance or listen to it, and I have all of Roger, Robert Plant's vocals are adjusted way down because one of the reasons I believe Robert always said no because Jimmy's wanted pages like we know them. You know, Jimmy. Uh, yeah. Jimmy. You know, they've wanted to do that so. reunion for a long time, but I think the main reason he kept saying no was because he knew he couldn't sing those notes anymore. You know, if you listen to the other bands he does, the work, the work he did with Alison Krauss, he sounds great because he's singing in a different vocal range. And if I'm going to listen to someone sing Whole Lot of Love four octaves lower than it should be, I'll just go listen to some drunk do it at the local bar on karaoke night. Is Robert Plant one of the smartest, not musicians, but vocalists in in recent history? So let's think about Brian Johnson. He sings a couple octaves lower. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's look at Metallica. James Cant. I, I remember seeing Ooh, yeah. him. Yeah. Do some Metallica shows. I'm like, well, that ain't the right, that ain't right, the right yeah, key. Yeah. Um, same thing with Axel or David uh, Lee Roth. Well, I saw the Van Halen yeah. shows a few years ago, and it, and it didn't sound the same. And it, it, as someone who loves those songs, you know, like hearing them go out and let's just use Van Halen here, and hearing them do Panama, one of my all time favorite songs. Dave had all of the energy. He was explosive. He was he's as crazy as ever. But it just you knew. 
what was going it just sounded different and to me it takes a lot away from the band and yeah i don't know if it's that robert plant is the smartest i think he just has a different respect for the music and the songs that they made and said you know what i cherish that legacy i respect that legacy and i'm not going to give a half-assed version of it so from that perspective i respect him a lot let's bring so that makes me think of a, another band okay so <laughs> Uh, and uh-huh. not gonna laugh, but uh-huh. Kiss. So it's Strata! been yeah. So it's been widely mentioned by Paul, I yeah. believe. Um, you know, when it comes time for him and Gene to uh, hang up their makeup and outfits, yeah. that Paul has hinted to Kiss would con- could continue without any of the original members, and because he said something along the lines of Kiss is bigger than the people that are in it uh, to Paul. I think Paul is right. I think the the band can continue because it doesn't matter who is, who is playing Peter Chris's parts and dressed up like him because it's, it's well, they, they've <laughs> toured without Peter before and they've toured without Ace before. Right. You know, so, the only two people have always been there are Gene and Paul. Right. So it's like, um, this sounds really weird, but I guess you don't have kiss doesn't have soul, I guess. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they just maybe they have such a mature view of their band that I just I can't get in that headspace. I mean, you know, I, I've told you this before that when Bill Berry had to leave R.E.M. and yet that band yes, carried yes. on, how frustrated it was because that was a band who sat on a couch. And we might have talked about this last time. And they sat on a couch very famously. Well, at least to me. And it was it was uh, during the monster years. And they said, if any of us ever got up off of this couch, we wouldn't be R.E.M. anymore. And then Bill Berry had his aneurysm and that was tragic and had to leave the band. And they were like, "Okay, we're going to make three more subpar albums and we're going to still call ourselves R.E.M. That really bothered me. Not that they should be calling themselves like, you know, the band formerly known as R.E.M., but it's like... it's so strange because I, I'm going to keep going down this road of R.E.M. because it's a very unique case in that, and I know way more about the end of that band than I probably should, that when they were when they, their last performance was actually for a group of friends uh, in a small studio, I think it was in Germany, and they played a couple songs, and I guess after uh, Michael Stipe turned to uh, Peter or Mike Mills and said, you know, so I think we're done, right? And he said, yeah, and that was the end of the band. So to me, it might even be different because they seem like they knew that, hey, we're, we're done here. This 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 band, we've we've run its course. So maybe the Bill Berry thing, they knew that they hadn't quite finished what they needed to finish. But I don't think most bands have that like that level of introspection that there's more to be done with this group. And we just we need to fill those shoes. I don't know. I want to go back to another thing. I don't think we don't sure. think we uh, covered, but the um, the Van Halen the, the Van uh, Halen, the Van Halen, the Black Flag, they um, Deep Purple. They yeah. Replaced, oh, yeah, I see where you're going. They with replaced this. they replaced vocalists, and now, granted, we weren't around when this happened with Deep Purple and too young to remember Black Flag and Van Halen switching. But if you if you go back and you listen to any any articles or fans back at that point, a lot of people at the time are like, yeah. you know, what's going on? Yeah. Um, you know, and then Hagar comes in, yeah. Rollins comes in and think of, well, I, I don't know. Gary uh, Sharon. Let's not forget Gary Sharon. Thank you. No, no, no. I didn't say 
Sharon for a specific reason. When Coverdale came into Purple, I'm trying to think of what era that is. I don't how I don't know if their commercial success went up, but uh, Van Halen's went. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of people they don't know, you know, who the other singers were in Black Flag before Rollins. Right. They just, right. A right. lot of people are like, nope, Henry Rollins was the leader. Right. Leader they don't know about singer. Keith. They don't know that Des did vocals. Yeah, they don't or know Des. Yeah. Right. And so I just think it's interesting when singers move on, how the other ones, you know, get forgotten. And how does that really carry forward with those hard, fa- hardcore fans mm-hmm. or, you know, the purists, if you will? Oh, well, Sammy was never the, the original singer. Well, you know what? He wasn't. But for me, and we can have a music battle about this, you know, <laughs> Sammy, Sammy at least, he will sing David Lee Roth song. Yeah. songs at least when sammy was on tour fans could get the whole game right they could see the whole thing david lee is like a pouty little kid like i'm not gonna sing sammy hagar songs because i hate him hey now well, hey now that that sucks i mean those were some good songs too and um mm. you know eh. henry he sang the whole gamut coverdale was in there they they covered right the they're still spectrum. doing smoke on the water they were doing highway star Right. So, you know, Brian, back to our original discussion, Brian Johnson, he didn't say, nope, I'm not singing um, anything from Flick of the Switch. I'm not singing. Uh, wow. Deep, know, deep pull there, my friend. He goes for Flick of the Switch. Wow. I know. I'm not singing, you know, Sin well, City. You know, amazingly on that thought, amazingly on the thought, Slash is playing songs off of Chinese democracy. I took that as, again, I'd like to see what the contract said. And Axel said, I'm going to play some stuff from Chinese democracy. Mm-hmm. And I I take that as the, I, I think Axel and Slash are hugging. And <laughs> the olive branch was extended. And Slash said, hey, you know what, man? That song wasn't too bad. I'll play that. That's cool. I can make it better. but uh, No pun intended. Right. Ooh. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Well, we uh, we barreled through a lot there. Um, I, I'm sure there were some good points in there somewhere, right? Uh, I think so, man. So so you want to do a music battle, huh? I think we could. I mean, you know, I mean, next time we're sing- next time we're in the same city. Yeah. Next time we're in the same city, we will we will duke it out. And uh, Diamond Dave versus Sammy. If you go see ACDC, I, I only hope the best for you in that rock and roll experience. Yes. Oh, I, I will give a I will give a a, a song by song rundown of the uh of what i see sounds good man i appreciate you we'll talk soon all right as always my thanks to christian for making time to chat about music with me you can tweet at him at at c-a-s-c-bus and make sure to remind him that rush are a great band also tweet at me and tell me what band do you think made the biggest mistake in replacing a key member who was the how could you possibly do that band for you let me know Before we call it a week, though, I do, of course, have your weekly Ear Fuel listening assignment. For those of you new to the podcast, each week I assign an album to listen to in full, beginning to end, without any distractions or interruptions. It stems from the idea that these days, music has become largely relegated to a background task. You're driving, you're at the gym, you're at work, whatever. And this assignment is about consciously listening to music for the sake of the music. This week, your assignment is X-Ray Specs' magnificent 1978 album, Germ-Free Adolescence. Now, I mentioned this record a number of times last week when we were discussing Rolling Stone's hilarious 40 Greatest Punk Albums list, and I wanted to dig deeper into it because it's an underappreciated classic. Back in the late 70s, most people saw punk rock as a man's world. 
come to think of it, most people still think it's a man's world, but X-Ray Specs destroy that idea and pave the way for things like Riot Girl and more bands than I can count. They're also one of those bands that, for me, lasted the exact right amount of time. They made some amazing singles, a killer record, and then they imploded. Now, even before this album, they had made their name with the song Oh Bondage Up Yours, which is a massive middle finger to patriarchy in every sense of the word, and later pressings of germ-free adolescence contain that single. The duo of Polystyrene and Laura Logic are one of the best in history. Seriously, they are. And they led a delivery that had a force and a message that was on par with the best punk rock had to offer. We're talking The Clash, The Sex Pistols, that level of good. And in many ways, I feel like Polystyrene is the link between Patti Smith and groups like Babes in Toyland, L7, even the Vivian Girls and stuff like that. That being said... Every song on this album is top-notch, from the roaring guitars on Artificial to the brilliant lyricism of I Am A Poser to the absolutely incredible instrumentation on the title track. There is not a bad second anywhere on the record, and to know germ-free adolescence is to love it. Kind of like PJ Harvey. See the link? Yeah. Nearly every song here is a rallying cry for female empowerment or self-empowerment. She mixes singing and screaming, and she refuses to be ignored. Polly calls out the artificial society she sees around her, as well as taking aim at corporations ruining lives. 1978. Seems like today. Right? Right. But the reality is, while each of these songs overflows with the punk ethos, the melodies are never sacrificed, and that's what gives them such a wide appeal. They're the sort of songs you want to turn up all the way, and you're going to find yourself singing along in no time. There's just no way around it. Germ-free adolescence is sonic perfection, and if you don't know it by heart already, go get on that right now. Thank me later. So that's all for this week. Be sure to hit me on Twitter at at GetEarFuel and at the Daily Guru, and tell me your favorite song from that X-Ray Specs record. The podcast is always available in the iTunes store under EarFuel and at SoundCloud.com slash GetEarFuel. And hey, if you dug things, go tell a friend or three. That is your weekly EarFuel. Share and enjoy. (laughs) 